John chapter 5, verses 30 through to the end of the chapter, verse 47. It's quite a lengthy passage, uh, but kind of wraps up the thoughts here at the end of chapter 5 concerning uh, the Lord and of his uh, apologetic to the Jewish people at the time, the, especially those religious rulers, and of his right to the testimony not only of John the Baptist but of the Scriptures and of the Father uh, concerning him as being the Christ, the Son of God. And so we'd like to begin reading, and I'll read verses 30 through to the end of the chapter. I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bore witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself who hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe who receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Let us pray. Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the scriptures and for the testimony and the witness of Christ in them. And we pray, Father, that you will bless your word to our hearts, that you will minister them to us, that we might be confirmed in our faith, and the witness of the word will confirm upon our lives the Lord Jesus in every way as our true Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, here we have, um, of course, a wonderful argument, if you will, uh, being set forth, the principles wherein Christ claims that of his Messiahship, according to the witness not only of God the Father, 
but of those things which were written of him, such as those things written in the book of Moses, uh, that is, the first five books of the Bible, and of um, John the Baptist, and of his own works. And uh, these witnesses are witnesses that are confirmatory upon the life and the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these become very important arguments to the uh, religious rulers of the day because they did not receive either the prophecies of John the Baptist nor did they receive the words of Jesus. And we have to wonder why that is true. But it seems to be because they themselves were either um, so ignorant in the keeping of the law and of the, of the true letter and spirit of it, or that they had transgressed greatly uh, concerning their own faith and acknowledging the coming of the Messiah. And so this afternoon we want to look at these uh, various points here that, uh, for this message. There is another witness, is the title of the message for this afternoon. First of all, the Father's witness to the deity of Jesus. We find that uh, here in this passage we find um, that kind of, uh, of uh, text being revealed to us, that the Father did give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll remember at the time when John the Baptist uh, did baptize Jesus, uh, the heavens did open and the Father spoke. Uh, this is my beloved Son. The Spirit of God descended upon the Lord and uh, that uh, the testimony of the Father was known at that point. But not only so, we find that the Old Testament record was, was true to the coming of the Messiah. And so they were deficient. The religious rulers were deficient concerning the coming of the Messiah and acknowledging that Jesus was truly the Christ. Uh, secondly here we see the witness of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist was a burning and a shining light of the Christ. And uh, being that prophet of the Old Testament um, and a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the most significant prophet to this, in this regard because he is the last prophet that was to speak. Um, concerning the coming of the Christ and it was during the very time that the Lord Jesus Christ had was upon the earth the very, the very time um, in fact it was through his ministry that there would be the beginning of Christ's ministry it's not like John would come and he would say oh it's going to come in, a, in a, another uh, 500 years or another 1000 years no, it, would come, it, it was then and there it was at that moment that these things were taking place and John was, was uh, announcing the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, uh, thirdly, I should say the witness of Jesus works. They did give, did, did give testimony to him and we find that uh, he did many miracles. Now which is greater, to heal or to forgive sins? Well, of course, there, neither one. I mean, they are both works of God. Only God can do a miracle. Only God can forgive sins. And so they should have recognized immediately that Jesus was the Christ, uh, that he was truly the Messiah, um, as uh, the Samaritan woman recognized him, and as others that he encountered recognized him as the Christ. Uh, fourthly here, the witness of the Father. 
this becomes an important witness, of course, that uh, the testimony of the scriptures itself says and records concerning Christ that he is the Son of God and that he had come by divine means, through divine conception, that he, he was the Christ of God and truly that he came to redeem his people from their sins and therefore the scriptures did give testimony of uh, uh, the Lord Jesus and the Father gave testimony of the Lord Jesus and uh, later on we find of course in John chapter 17 uh, a whole chapter based upon the fact that the, the uh, prayer of our Lord unto the Father in heaven was confirmatory upon these very things um, and then uh, number five, the witness of the scriptures itself. And uh, therefore we come to the concluding remarks in this chapter concerning that. And uh, we find that uh, testimony is given in verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Well, uh, of course, the Jewish people were students of the scriptures. In fact, the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes being the, um, the ones to record the scriptures. And so to know it in every jot and tittle, as one might say, uh, as every, in every word and letter, they were to be careful to record the whole of the word of God. The Pharisees themselves were, were a very elite religious group within the the Jewish order, and to say nothing of the Sadducees, and uh, all those who should have known the scriptures themselves. And they were searchers of the scripture. They diligently searched the scripture, but yet to miss the fact that Jesus was the Christ and that he had come. This is uh, unforgivable that they would, that they would miss this, this very important event in human history. Um, in, in their own uh, uh, fulfillment of prophecy. And so uh, this would be a very significant statement against them that they did not recognize uh, who Jesus was as being the Messiah of God. And so uh, we'll, let us begin the, with verse 30 this afternoon and we'll look at this th first uh, point that we want to mention here concerning the Father's witness uh, in verse 30, I can of myself, my own self, do nothing as I hear. I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now this confirmatory statement is one, of course, which is important to who Christ is. Uh, Christ did not appear on the, the human stage of life. Uh, in history to uh, in any way boast of his own accomplishments and those things that uh, one might do as a person in history. No, Jesus came to fulfill the very will of the Father. He says, I can of myself do nothing as I hear. So we find that Jesus came not to do his own will, but he came to do the will of the Father. He came as one who was sent of the Father into the world. He came to bear witness to those things that uh, were of life and of eternal life concerning the people of God. And he says, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will. And so we find that uh, throughout this whole 
um, process of Jesus being revealed as the Son of God, uh, he came to do the Father's will. And this becomes a predominant theme, of course, in the life and ministry of Christ, that he came to do the will of the Father. He's, and he's, so he says at the end of verse 30, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus gives testimony to this, that he came to do the Father's will. He gives testimony to the fact that the Father sent him to do that very thing uh, that he was to accomplish, to finish the work, as it were, of redemption. And uh, we find that as he lays out this uh, this uh, confirmatory statement concerning who he was as the Christ and what he came to do, we find that the Pharisees, of course, overlooked this completely. They, they did not see it for what it was, uh, that he came to accomplish the work of redemption in behalf of the Father. Now, we might ask, uh, in our own lives, we might say, well, what does the Lord want me to do? What is the will of God for my life? And sometimes we look at that in a very particular way. And we want to find out some secretive plan of God for us that we might accomplish. But I'd like to suggest to you this afternoon that it is no secret what the will of God is for us as believers. That we are to be followers of Christ that we are to be those who give testimony to the, son, to the Son of God, of the Son of God in this world. That we are to be those who carry the gospel unto other people. That we are to be forthright in our own Christian endeavor to, to show people that we are believing and that we are truly Christians, that we are truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it becomes, very, it becomes very obvious as followers of Christ what we are to do. Um, you know, some people will say, well, should I be a missionary? Should I be a pastor? Should I be um, a Christian business owner? What should I be? God must have some secret plan for me to accomplish. But I think it be, it's a little bit more obvious than that. The thing that is in front of us is our discipleship for the Lord is our Christian faith, is how we live and how we will, we will testify of the Lord Jesus. And so you might be a doctor or a lawyer or an Indian chief, or you might be a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker. Uh, you might be any number of things, but the very thing that Christ wants you to be is most common and most obvious to us as believing Christians. And I would just say to you, fulfill that plan and you will find that the rest of it will become quite natural for you to do um, because God wants you to be a good witness for him and to live a life consistently and Christ-like in a very godless world that we, that we live in. And so Jesus wanted to make this clear statement uh, that uh, uh, it was not just what he said of himself, it is what the Father was, was saying of him that would confirm most assuredly uh, who he was and uh, what he came to accomplish. In verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, what, it, what does it mean by this? Well, um, another way to look at this uh, statement is it's considered to be um, a somewhat 
controversial statement in a way because it appears that he is not to say anything about himself. But that really isn't the meaning. Um, if we look at it from uh, a different perspective, by explanation it could read this way. If I bear witness of myself, you will say my witness is not true. Uh, and that goes to the, the Greek interrogative explanation, you know, it goes to the, the tense and the Greek wording and so forth. But it's important for us to recognize, first of all, this Jesus could say who he came to bear witness to. He could, to, he could say that he came to bear witness of the Father. He could say that he was of God. He could say that, that he is the Messiah. Uh, although he chose not to make these clear statements very much, especially at the beginning of his ministry, he chose not to do that. But if he did make these statements, then what would they say? They would say that it wasn't true. And so the, the, uh, the meaning here uh, seems to be more in this regard. Uh, Schofield in his thoughts on it said this, If I bear witness of myself, ye will say my witness is not valid. And so against this charge, our Lord, in defending his messianic claims, urges the biblical rule of evidence which requires two or three witnesses. So the biblical rule of evidence was that there was supposed to be more than one witness. Because if a person gave testimony of themselves, they would say, oh, that isn't true. It's one person against another. But if, the, if a person could give witness of himself, plus there were two others, if there were two or three witnesses, then there was a confirmatory witness of the fact that was being stated. And so um, the Pharisees would not accept his witness alone. So therefore, he sought to point out the other witnesses that were available. And uh, the first of them is John the Baptist. The witness of John the Baptist here becomes uh, a very important uh, witness here. In verses um, 33 to 35, Ye sent unto John, and he bore witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man. But these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Okay, um, as we consider the witness of John the Baptist, what happened concerning John the Baptist? Well, he, he came out of the wilderness, came preaching Christ, baptizing in the river Jordan, calling people to repentance, saying that the kingdom of God is at hand and that men should repent, and that he pointed out the Christ, the Son of God, and called him the Lamb of God, even baptizing Jesus himself, who said, we must fulfill all righteousness. And so John was uh, a witness, and who, who was paying attention to these, these statements of John? Well, certainly the populace were. The, the multitude was paying attention. And we find that even the religious rulers were paying attention because they sent a, uh, an entourage to uh, 
to check out the situation and to see just what was going on there at, at the River Jordan and, and so forth. Uh, but did the religious rulers um, acknowledge him? Uh, perhaps to a degree, because they were somewhat afraid that if they opposed John the Baptist, then they might upset the populace, the, the multitude, and the multitude might retaliate against them in some way. And so they didn't want to incite the people, so they kind of went along with it. Um, and then we find that uh, John himself um, was born testimony to by Christ himself. And we find that uh, Jesus gives a testimony concerning John, that he is, he is a light, a burning and a shining light. And so in verse 33, ye, ye sent unto John, and he bore witness unto the truth, the truth that Jesus was the Christ, the Lamb of God. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. Now, what was the real reason that Jesus came? Of course, as he came to fulfill the Father's will, he came to fulfill or finish the plan of redemption. Um, in other words, Jesus did not become come to be a religious ruler. Uh, no, he came to be the Savior. He did not come to be the political figurehead for the nation of Israel that would somehow overthrow the dominant authority of the, the Roman authority. He did not even come to take the place of Herod uh, or some other king that was set up by the Roman government that, uh, that the people might have some relief from the Roman authority. Uh, in other words, there, there, was no other, there was no other reason for Jesus to come other than that he might fulfill the true role of a Messiah, of the true Christ, the one who came to save his people from their sins. And, and so we find that uh, he was seeking to tell them that um, what you think I came for is not what I came for. What you think John the Baptist was saying or was not what he was there for. He was my forerunner. He was, he was the one announcing my, my coming. He, he, is, he is the one sent of God. And that light which he came to bring was a lamp, was a, like a lamp to light the time in which I appeared on the world scene. Now Jesus is called a light as well, but here the word for light concerning the Lord Jesus is like the brightness of the sun. And the word for light for John is like a little lamp that one might set in the corner of a room to illuminate the area. Jesus was the greater light. John just came to illuminate the area, the time, the period in which the Christ should come. And so Jesus says, the witness of John is a witness for me. And so the scriptures would reveal that concerning him. Verse 35, he was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in him. Ye were willing for a season. Um, you see, here it is again that the fickleness of the population is often like that. You know, for a little while, the current, uh, the current political realm 
for a little while, people are very much enamored over a world leader, whether it's a Donald Trump or a Joe Biden. For a little while, they are very much enamored over such a figure to come on the scene because it is someone who they rally behind, someone that they might uh, uh, find uh, interesting and and uh, somehow feel that they will fulfill the their, their own personal ambitions by, and so forth. And uh, the uh, the idea of John coming onto the world scene uh, for the the religious rulers of the day was was viewed as a kind of a selfish reason. They only wanted what they could get out of such a man as John. What did Jesus expect? Well, Jesus expected John to fulfill the very plan that God had put forth of announcing the coming of the Christ. And for Jesus, then, John was a significant witness to his coming onto the world scene, and so he could fulfill the next step in God's plan of redemption, uh, that he might be acknowledged for who he was, and that he may lay out uh, very clearly that he was truly the Christ. Yes, it would lead him in a direction that would seemingly be defeative, but even that itself was a part of God's plan. For he would come as a savior, and he would die for the sins of the world. And that is not exactly what political leaders want to do uh, in themselves. They don't want to die for others. They, they want to somehow prop up their own personal uh, ideas and their own ambition. But we find that the Lord Jesus Christ came uh, as one who was shining forth as the true brightness of the Son of God. And though for a season the Jewish people were pleased with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, yet it was not to last. But John became that witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly here, or thirdly, we see with the works of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 36. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So though John the Baptist was a great voice for God, he did not do any miracles. He didn't do himself in, uh, miracles himself. Uh, but yet we find that Jesus did. And it says in John chapter 10 and verse 41, And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracles. But all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. And, of course, then in the next chapter it goes into the raising of Lazarus. In other words, the, John didn't come doing miracles. All John did come to do was to make an announcement. He came to announce the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Son of Man, the Son of God. Uh, yet Jesus himself was the one, and the works which he did were the works of one who was, would be known as the Christ, as the true Christ of God. And so, um, the greater witness, but I have greater witness. Uh, and I think this is an important statement for us to recognize as well, because as you notice, each one of these witnesses become much more um, important 
uh, to the testimony or the confirmatory statements concerning the Lord. The witness of John the Baptist, then the witness of the works of Jesus himself, and of course the ultimate witness of the work of Jesus would go far beyond simply a miracle of healing. It would become a miracle of salvation, that he would, that he would fulfill the Father's will, that he would accomplish the very purpose of redemption itself, that he would become the sacrifice for sin, and as the Son of God, that he would bear the sins of the world, that he himself would, would truly fulfill the full uh, and complete plan of redemption, that the grace of God may be known unto all men, and uh, that all men may come unto the Lord Jesus Christ to seek that salvation. And so in verse 36, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Now that last statement, of course, becomes very important as well. Uh, that these things, these things that Jesus was doing, to, to, to not only to raise the dead or to, to heal the sick or to cause the lame to walk or the blind to see or to forgive sins um, and uh, to give eternal life to as many as would believe upon him and ultimately to go to the cross uh, this witness that was John uh, would speak to about Christ this witness that Jesus would come to accomplish uh, as a greater witness would bear witness that the Father hath sent me. All these things would bear witness that the Father had sent me, uh, had sent him truly into the world. And so the witness of John, the witness of the works of Jesus, which he meant to accomplish and did do while he was in his public ministry, and then the witness of the Father in verse 37 to 38. And the Father himself who hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And so Jesus' witness is his Father. The Father has himself testified concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And of course again at the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, it says, While he yet spake, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And so these testimonies were very important testimonies to the Lord Jesus Christ, because, especially in this case, we find that the Father spoke himself uh, concerning his own begotten Son, and uh, that uh, concerning his works, in John chapter 12 and verse 28, uh, concerning this he says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it, 
said that it thundered, also said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And so the testimony of John and the testimony of the Father became a testimony that uh, increasingly gave testimony to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so also we find that uh, this testimony uh, was a, a great influence upon the hearts of the multitude. And many followed him because of the testimony of these things. And the confirm, confirmatory testimony to the disciples became a very great testimony that uh, this is the Christ, the Son of God. And then lastly we see here, uh, he says the witness of the scripture. So we have the witness of, of John the Baptist, the, the works of Jesus himself that he would accomplish, the witness of the Father and the witness of the scripture. And so the last part here uh, is also a very telling witness because it is quite embarrassing to the religious rulers that they did not recognize Jesus um, being that they were the keepers of the oracles of God. They were the ones who should have known above all others that this was the Christ, the Son of God. But it appears that shepherds in the field were more acknowledgeable and uh, the lonely and the ones who were often healed or those who were great sinners and needed saving grace who received that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ became those who knew of the true Christ, the Son of God, moreover than the religious rulers of the day. In verse 39, he says, uh, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So the religious rulers studied the Old Testament with great diligence. They believed that if one could comprehend the words of the text, he would gain a share in the world to come. Well, you know, many, there were many people who are good students of the scriptures. I heard the testimony years ago, I think it was by Pastor Root, who said he knew of a very great Greek scholar um, uh, that uh, testified that he was not a Christian, but he was a great Greek scholar and studied the Bible diligently, uh, whether it's Old Testament and New Testament, and uh, yet they somehow missed the point that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that there is a personal God who has sent a personal Savior into the world. And uh, perhaps you have met pastors which seem to be very cold and indifferent to the gospel message itself, and to preaching a clear gospel of sin and salvation. Um, and we have, you have to wonder when you hear of such people, you have to wonder why don't they preach a very clear gospel saying that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that only through the Lord Jesus Christ who was given as the true Savior of the world 
that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. How could they miss this very important statement? Except they become intellectual uh, giants without the knowledge of the true Son of God. And the Pharisees were very uh, diligent in the law. They knew what the law was all about. Remember the Apostle Paul becomes the kind of like the... the uh, pinnacle of an example of one who was a Pharisee of a Pharisee, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, um, knew the law, was uh, very much uh, zealous concerning the, the keeping of the law of God, and yet he missed the whole message himself until he uh, came upon the Lord on the road to Damascus and there was a bright and shining light, even the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shined unto him, and he fell on his face and heard the voice of the Lord Jesus, and was marvelously and miraculously saved, as all true saving grace is marvelous and miraculous. And so it takes more than simply head knowledge to know something. Uh, one must be touched within the heart of the individual. The very mind needs to be changed. And so it is that uh, these men of the Old Testament, uh, scholars, if you will, these Pharisees and Sadducees and these scribes, um, that they became, became students of the law. They knew the law. They were well educated in the law. The word of God, if you will but they did not know the Christ when he came. And so it is that God um, meant to reveal himself. Uh, the Jewish scholars failed to see that Jesus is the promised one. In 2 Corinthians 3.15, But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. In other words, it takes the spirit of God to remove the veil from the heart and mind of those who may be well-educated, May, may know the Hebrew, may know the Greek, may know the Bible, and yet they know not the Lord. But it takes the Spirit of God to remove that veil. And that is why the preaching of the Gospel is necessary. And that is why that we as believers should also strive to live clearly the Gospel in our own lives without hypocrisy, without, without contradiction, that we might be known as true believers so that others will see the, the true spirit of God living in our own hearts and lives, albeit that we are, are not perfect. That we often need, we do at all times need the grace of God to accomplish his purpose. But we must strive to uh, let others see the glorious gospel of Christ shining through. And that is what it takes, the Spirit of God to open the heart. And so here we find that the Jewish 
uh, leaders failed to see this. They failed it completely. It was they were a complete failure upon this regard. In verse forty, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Uh, if you will, this is a very sad commentary, isn't it? Uh, though they had, were diligent, ser- diligent searches of the Scripture, they would not come to Christ that they might have life, because they they were dead in trespasses and sins. And being so dead, their will was also affected. You know, many times we question, well, what is it about the will of man? How come we can't just believe and everything will, will suddenly become known to us? Well, because the will of man is just as desperately affected by the fall in the Garden of Eden as the rest of us is. Um, our will is, is fallen. And so when we seek to exercise our own will to accomplish the work of salvation, we find that it is without fruit because it is a fallen will. In other words, it takes the Spirit of God to enliven the fallen will of man. And so, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3, ye who were dead in trespasses and sins, and now quickened, we are quickened, we're made alive. Um, And of course it's the Spirit of God that makes us alive in Christ. Um, God intends, of course, for us to come to faith in Him. Uh, God is not willing, He does not desire that any should perish. And the will of man being given to its own fallen nature often refuses. Even as these religious rulers of the day refused. Uh, it It isn't that God does not desire man to come. But it takes the spirit of God. And so in other words, if one will not acknowledge God, will not acknowledge the spirit of God, we find that they will yet remain in their sin. Because their will is against God. And it sounds like somewhat of an oxymoron, you know, to say this. But we have to understand that the saving work of grace is after the authority of God. God is the author and finisher of our faith, not we. Um, But since God has made us of emotion, intellect, and will... He had made us body, soul, and spirit. Uh, we, we are this complex creature created in the image of God. We find that all these things must come in, a, in the time when God calls us unto faith. In fact, you may remember a time when, when God was somehow speaking to you and you kind of, kind of brushed off the whole idea and said, well, I don't think that's for me. You, you, might, you might remember a period of time like that. But then at a later time, when God spoke to you, that was not the case. At that time, you suddenly responded as uh, the Spirit of God seemed to warm your heart and call you unto the Savior for forgiveness. 
And that is the difference between one and the other, and it's not easily explained except to know that God and his spirit must do the work in the heart of the individual. Verse 41, I receive not honor from men. Well, of course, this was the case for Jesus, wasn't it? He, there were not many who really honored him. And even if, they were, even if they did, what would that mean? Would it mean anything to the Son of God? Would it, would it, would it actually mean anything? No, it wouldn't. God is the only one. God the Father was the one who could honor the Son. Man would not honor the Son. And, and in fact, the fallen human race was not about to do much of any of it. But in time, God would die for the sins of the world, and then it would be the darkest moment in human history, but on the other side of the grave would be the brightest moment for eternity. And God would fully honor the Son, but man wouldn't. And even the disciples, they all ran away, so to speak. <laughs> they all departed from him. And who was left then to honor him? Uh, none. <clears throat> and so he says, I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. Well, as you see, uh, these statements become much more clear in our thinking when we understand what was being done here and, and what these witnesses were saying against them. The witness of John, the witness of Jesus' works, the witness of the Father, the witness of the Scripture. All these witnesses would confirm the very fact that man would not honor the Son of God, that man did not love him, did not love God. And in verse 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Well, of course, from the human standpoint, that was true. They did reject Jesus. They, at first they thought, well, maybe he is going to be the political leader that will set the nation of Israel on a different track and will get out under the authority of Rome and truly be an autonomous government again. A true monarchy, once, once again. A theocracy, if you will. But, of course, that was not to be the case. And if, if he had been that kind of a religious, political man, they would have wanted him uh, for a time, for a season. Uh, but, of course, uh, being the Christ, being who he was, the Son of God, coming to set forth the true Christ or the anointed of God as the Messiah of God, the one who stood against them, was opposing them on every ground because they were all looking for the wrong thing and they didn't want forgiveness, they thought they already had it. They didn't want salvation, they thought the salvation was of the Jews and in the law. And what more could they want? This young upstart who was going to tell them what things were going to be and what things was and how he was going to change everything? No, they didn't want to hear any of that. No. So, if it had been someone else, if he had been a political leader or something, yeah, they would have received him. and They would have all been great and happy. A Donald Trump or another Joe Biden, someone to change the political landscape for the moment and get us out of our doldrums. They would have been very happy. 
But no, he was the Christ. He was the Son of God. He would be the Savior of the world. He came to do the Father's will, not the will of the Jews. He came to be the one who would bring eternal life to as many who would believe. Verse 44, How can ye believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? See, again, here, here they were. They were great respecters of persons. It seems like Pastor Mo might have touched upon that at some time this morning in the message. They were great respecters of persons, and people love to do that, you know. They love to put a plaque on a building and call it the George Washington Monument. They love to do that kind of thing because it somehow builds up their own ego and their own esteem, you know. Um, how can ye believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Uh, man is very unlikely to give up his own prestige and to give it to God. Uh, the only way that happens is if, if they're humbled under the mighty hand of God. If they're humbled enough, then they will be exalted in due time. And, you know, they will receive it because they're in a right position to do so um, on their face before God, recognizing that they're really nothing after all. But no, not these religious rulers. They weren't about to do, to do that. They were much too proud. Remember, they were like the Pharisees who stood out in the market square and lifted up their voice to God and beat upon their breast and said, they're not, not, not like that poor old publican over there. No, uh, they gave their long prayers and, and, um, and thought they were something. Uh, verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Well, of course, Moses was like the epitome of the, of the religious and law-based system. Of Moses was, you know, everybody looked up to Moses. Um, and so Jesus throws this back at them. Because they had held up the law so greatly as, as their religious order, yet they missed the Christ. They missed that Jesus was the Christ. Well, this is quite astounding, isn't it? The very one who wrote of him in the Old Testament, the very one who, who gave those, uh, those true statements about the Lord Jesus Christ, yet they did not acknowledge him. And so if the Jews really believed Moses, they would believe Christ. For Moses wrote about him, Jesus here did not refer to any specific passage, but let me re read a couple for you. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between the woman and between, uh, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now that statement is called the Proto-Evangelum because it is the first hint of God's plan of redemption. That Christ himself would come and he would crush the head of the serpent and yet at the same time bruise his own heel. And it would come of the seed of the woman. He would come of the seed of the woman. Now the woman has no seed. The man does. And so this was quite unorthodox. 
But if you look at the true um, identity of the Christ in the incarnation, we find that it came for, it was fulfilled in Mary. Mary did bear a seed of the woman by the conception of the Holy Spirit. And a son did come forth, and he was announced as the true Christ of God, the true anointed of God, the one who would redeem his people from their sins. And so, yes, Moses did give testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Genesis. Uh, so this is very significant when we stop and, and think about this. Another light passage, verse 18 of chapter 22 of Genesis. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Bathsheba, and Abraham dwelt in Bathsheba. Well, uh, this is, of course, in reference to the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his seed. Now, how would that possibly come about if there was not a true promised Messiah of God that would be of the seed of Abraham and that would truly bless all the nations of the world? And, of course, again, we find that this would be ful fulfilled through the coming of the promised seed, the Christ. Well, I won't go on with any more of those, but there is a number of others as well. Uh, but it is enough for us to know that the, 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 the word of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, if you will, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they give testimony to the Christ, the Son of God. And that is the point that Jesus makes. These religious rulers did not even believe the very thing that they held most dear. Though they should have been very diligent searches of the scripture to know it, they did not know it. In verse 46, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Confirmatory statement. Verse 47, If ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Again, these must have been like pinpricks in the hearts of those religious rulers in that day, throwing it back upon them and saying to them, you have had more witnesses than, than just my word. If it was my word only, you would not, my word only, you would not believe me. But it is not my word only. It is the witness of John the Baptist who was sent of God even from his mother's womb it is the witness of my works which I do and will accomplish. It is the witness of the Father which God has sent me to accomplish and which he has said of me. It is the witness of the scriptures. And Jesus gives these confirmatory statements concerning himself, saying there is another witness of my Messiahship and who I am as the Son of God. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word this afternoon. Help us to assimilate these things, Lord. Help us to bring them into light where we ourselves might realize that we can be witnesses of the Lord even now and should be to accomplish the purposes which you mean to accomplish of spreading the gospel of Christ unto others and being that witness that will glorify our Savior, and glorify the Father which is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.